Thank you, Devin. Great hymn of the faith. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Man, this week woke up uh, and discovered that a telephone conversation he had had uh, with uh, a girlfriend of his that just happened to be about 50 years younger than himself. I had been recorded and uh, was picked up by TMZ and kind of broadcast everywhere and discovered there was some ramifications for that particular uh, intimate expression between two people. Um, the organization that he belongs to decided that uh, some things he had to say weren't particularly positive and uplifting, so they decided to uh, fine him the maximum amount within their organization. And normally when you hear about fines, you hear in terms of maybe hundreds of dollars or maybe even thousands of dollars, but they have fined him up to the level, the maximum level, which is $2.5 million. And then he discovered that not only were they going to fine him financially, then they, they, that they were going to go every length possible to ban him, not just for a season, and this is a particularly important season for him because it's possible his team might even get to the finals of the NBA and maybe even win it, and he was banned not for a season or even uh, for five years or ten years, but for, for life, forever attending the game in which he, as an owner, uh, has the opportunity to gloat about when his team does well. And then he discovered not only that was he being fined $2.5 million and being banned for life for attending a, a basketball game, but they were going to do everything possible to make him sell his team. Now, there are a lot of rich men in the world today, but if you own a professional sports team, and this happens to be Donald Sterling who owns uh, the Clippers and the National Basketball Association, that's where you get your celebrity status. And so based on a particular telephone conversation, he has just about lost it all. And then to make matters worse, it's come out that he is now suffering from cancer. And his life that has already extended for quite a few decades is in uh, some serious danger even from that perspective. Surprise, surprise, surprise. You know, when bad things happen, uh, those are things that kind of grab us, and, and, and we're, we're surprised when, when just things happen that just turn our world upside down. But, you know, what God wants us to understand is that we can look through life and being traumatized by the bad things that we might encounter or the, our loved ones encounter. But, but what He wants to understand, us to understand, it, there's a possibility for us to be surprised by Him with the good things that can happen. And so this, uh, this morning we begin a new series, a five-week series. We're going to introduce it today in, in which we look at a story in which God wants us to understand that we can be surprised by his goodness. If you really think about one of the most amazing words that we sing about that's throughout the scriptures, it's, it's the word amazing grace. When you understand the depths of that, no matter how a difficult of a trail you're now going down, it is really, we all get much, much better than we deserve. And so on this particular story this morning, we're, we're going to be seeing God unfold to us His goodness in the backdrop of everything around so many people's lives being going wrong. And yet, they begin to see God's goodness in the midst of the storms of life. 
If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the eighth book in the Bible. You have the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you have a Bible, you can also look in the tables of contents. Then you have uh, Joshua and Judges. And then you have a little book called Ruth. Just four chapters long. I think if you count the verses, there are 85 verses. And, and most of it, interesting enough, over 50 of the verses are, is conversation. They're, they're people talking. And so this is, this is not people reading about something, simply action that has happened. You're, you're hearing dialogue. Now, some of us look at this particular passage and say, if you were to put this on the screen, what kind of story is this? Is this an action story, drama, mystery, comedy? And really what it is, it's a chick flick, all right? This, this, is, a, this is a story where God is romancing the heart. In fact, as I was thinking about this, even before I popped up here, I was thinking, you know, as people look at what we're doing right now, uh, and after we would leave this place, um, and people maybe would say, well, what did you do this morning? And you say, you went to church. They might respond back and say, well, oh, are, are you religious? And, and that word has become so filled with baggage. I don't know how to answer that. Are, are you religious? And one way you could answer that question, uh, you could say, no, I'm in a, a romantic relationship. Now, when you think about that in, relate, in connection with God, that, that, that just sounds like out of place, doesn't it? I'm in a romantic relationship with God. But really, the idea of romancing has, beyond the physical, it really speaks of intimacy. That God doesn't want us to have a casual relationship with Him. Or even, as some say, a transactional relationship with Him. I, I got my ticket. I know I'm where I'm headed. I'm not going to the place that goes downward. I'm going to the place that goes upward. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. It's kind of a transaction. I, I, I received the gift, and now I know where my destiny is. Well, if we somehow reduced our, our relationship with God as simply a ticket, then we've missed it. What God wants us to experience is an intimate relationship with Him. And, and whatever journey you've been on, you, you know that life, as we live in this world, which is a fallen world, there, there are all kinds of experiences you go through. There, there are the challenges of health, there are the challenges of, of um, conflict, even as we talked about Financial Peace University, that, that's a major one in relationship. It, if the finances are going downward, I mean, your, your, your whole world seems to crumble. There's all kinds of issues that can rock your boat and, and feel like you're going to be sunk in the storms of life. And, and what God wants us to understand, in, in the midst of all that goes on, you can have an intimate relationship with Him because God, in a sense, is wooing us to Himself. We have run from Him, and He is he's doing everything possible on His end to, to bring us to Him. And, and Ruth is really that story. I think it was... Uh, Benjamin Franklin, who really wasn't a believer, he had respect for the Bible, but um, he saw this as the greatest romantic story ever written. And what I want you to understand is we just introduced this today, and in many ways we're going to go from this to the, the culmination of the story, which is when God the Father sent God the Son for us, and we remember it through the, the elements of the communion table. This is, this is all a story, a love story, where God is concerned about people, real people going through real life experiences. 
Now, now the backdrop of this, and we're going we're gonna to look at the story, and then we're going to look at a few simple observations of the story in its total. And then we'll look at some specific things as we go through week by week, four other Sundays for a four-chapter book. But the backdrop of this is important. You know, sometimes as you, as you meet people and you, you make assumptions almost immediately based on you know, initial impressions, and then, and then you find out the rest of their story, and it, it either magnifies what you thought of them first or it changes everything, doesn't it? Uh, this is a story that has a good ending, but it, it did not start that way. And, and we need to understand that that's true really of all of us because the Bible's pretty plain for all of us have sinned and fallen short. Whatever standard God has, we didn't measure up. And so apart from God rescuing us, we were on the the wrong side of a good news story. And what God had done from the beginning, uh, even in Genesis, was to provide everything that which is good for us, even very good for us, and we ran from him. And then God did a variety of things in those first five books of the Bible to to talk about that battle between us, again, running from him and him desiring for us to run to him. And then he called out a people, beginning with an individual named Abraham. And and these were the people in which they were to be the the object lessons for the world to see there is a true God that cares for his people and, and you want to run to him rather than running from him. And this people uh, went to a land called Egypt, and, and they were there for 400 years, and they were in slavery. And, and God pictured what he does for us through Jesus, and he rescued them. Or to use the, the religious phrase, he, he saved them from their bondage. And, and you would think when, when you experience that which is good, your life would be filled with just so much gratitude and gratefulness that you would, you would do everything to please the one who had rescued you from perishing and and bondage but it didn't last long and and they rebelled they they turned away from him and and god gave him an object lesson took them 40 years to get to a place they could have gone in just a few months and and then they got to the land he had promised them the promised land and god did some miraculous things to allow them to conquer that land they they didn't kind of go with full obedience but they they got in the land they, they they possessed it and their leader that had just led them so well spiritually said, I want you to understand there's really only one question in life you need to answer for you and for your household. But I want to let you know, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What are you going to do? And they all cried out, we will do the same. But then from Joshua went to a period in the Bible which it calls the Judges. And, and the people, though they had proclaimed their loyalty to God, they turned from him. And, and there was a series of ups and downs, ups and downs, as they were close to God and they were far from God. They were close to God and they were far from God. And, and this little book of, of Ruth is placed in the midst, really, of the book of Judges, where, where these people, if you were to take a, a summary of this book, and, and if, you take, if you're going to take notes, I'm going to give you some kind of little phrases you can put on some of the things in your outline. Uh, what was the setting? The setting for the book of Ruth was a dark setting. And sometimes we think in terms of, of falling after God that if we're really walking with God, everything's going to be a setting of light. Everything's going to be going good for us because we know God, so everything should all be happening in a, in a great way. Well, that's not life. 
we live in a fallen world. And no matter how faithful we are, there is a fallen world here. And then we add to it by the choices that we make. And it was a dark time in the life of the people who, who knew him, and some only knew about him, but they knew him. And if you want to write down a reference, Judges 21-25, I believe it says, if you were to summarize the time in which this book that we're going to see Ruth shared for us to know that God is romancing not the stone but our hearts, you could, you could summarize this period of time in which everyone did that which is right in their own, what? Eyes. And that's really the heart of all of our challenges, isn't it? I kind of like doing what I want to do. I, I like kind of going down my path. And when my path is the same path that God wants me to go down, that's fine. But when, when God wants me to divert from that, then that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? Everyone wants to do what is right in their own eyes. That was, that was the backdrop of this story that is a, a story of good news about God's grace. But it was in the midst of, of people turning from God. Those most likely to turn to him were turning away from him. But in every good story, and I don't know what your favorite story, I, I, you know, normally I, if, if I'm checking out a video or going to a movie, it's, it's not normally the one I go in terms of the chick flick, okay? But, you know, chick flicks, even for guys, if we're willing to admit it, if there's a good story, if the characters grab us, if somehow we can relate to what's going on and we go, man, that, that really speaks to life, you know, we won't want to admit it, but we go, man, that, that was a good movie. But, but it's got to be a good storyline. And there have got to be characters we can relate to. It, it can't be cheesy. And we can't see it a millionth time, all right? But, but, if, it, but if there's something there, we, we go, yeah, that speaks into life. Well, who are the characters? Well, before the characters, let me just tell you something that as we think about the scriptures, particularly as we think about what's called by people who kind of study this analytically, narratives, okay, historical narratives, which are basically stories. Uh, there is, there's two things we need to realize. There's God's story and then our story. The, the bigger picture and then the kind of the, the lifeline that you see. And we're going to see in this a, a picture not only of these families that are interacting, but we're going to see this is a picture of what God's going to do in the future. It, and even geographically in the land, the Holy Land, there's a particular place here that's primary. It's the place of Bethlehem. And, and Bethlehem is really the, if you take that word and take out what it literally means, it means the house of bread, the, the house of God's provision. In, in the land of Judah, which is the word for praise. And, and God was going to take that little place in which in the future, there is a pretty significant person who was born there, Jesus. And make this the picture of the one who came as our Redeemer. And really, there are a variety of different forms of it, but there's a couple key words in this book, a number of them really, but the word Redeemer is used over and over and over again whether it's redeem or redemption or redeemer. And, and that's really what this is. It, the word redeem means buying back. It's capturing that which is lost or damaged. 
That, that's the story of Ruth. And, and as we think about that, it, it's all capsulated in, in the land in which the Savior was to come. But who are the main characters? In fact, let me read a few of the verses and then we'll continue on to kind of sharing the story. Ruth chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It's always good to begin at the beginning. Very good class. Okay, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And there's somewhat debate as far as which judge Ruth lived under. Um, Some say it was Jair and maybe around the period of 1150 or something like that. But it was a time in which even being in the promised land, it wasn't always prosperous as God allowed a variety of things to happen to, to allow his people to know that what is most important is their devotion to him. And a certain man of Bethlehem, the house of bread, Judah, which is praised, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elmelech. Now, sometimes in Scripture, the, the name, your personal name has some significance to it beyond that being the one people call you by and um, I don't know if if um, Jesse and Jessica are going to call their son Mark Jr. Uh, you know I told you before I thought I was only going to have two sons I was tempted to say first Timothy and second Timothy that didn't work if I you know if I really knew I was going to have three sons I would have called them first John second John and third John but anyway but in, in those days particularly your name could have significance and we know Jesus name uh, really has, you know, he will save us from our sins. Jesus is Savior. But Elmelech, El- it's hard to say that fast, so I struggle with that word. It really means my God is king. And so I don't know if his parents really want to dedicate him toward that, but that really is the essence of what you want to be. You want to realize who is God and, and what authority does he have over you. He is the leader of my life. And so Elmelech, um, he and his wife and sons went to Moab. The name of his wife was uh, Naomi. And Naomi, interestingly enough, and this becomes even more significant later on in the story, is this particular name means pleasant. I think uh, Dr. McGee says says she was Miss Sunshine, or or Mrs. Sunshine. She was just always positive. You, You know people like that? I mean, they're just always up. They just never seem down. They just... They're just full of life, and no matter what comes next, it's just an adventure. And so this was Naomi. And they had two sons. Now, the two sons' names, however, are not the most um, complimentary. Uh, Malan has the idea of being sickly, and Chilion has the idea of being puny. All right, And so you have, my God is king and pleasant, having two sons that don't look like they have a great future. And we're going to find out later that is actually true. Well, they go to Moab, which was an interesting decision of that family. It doesn't make a whole lot of commentary here whether that was necessarily wrong, but it wasn't necessarily the safest place spiritually for uh, El Melek to plant his family. But at this point, he had no food. And so they went to uh, Moab, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there, verse 3. Then El Melek, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. Now, here's again where I put the backdrop here. We're, we're going to see God's grace throughout this story. But I want you to understand, uh, everything, wasn't, everyone, everything wasn't full of light in the midst of the experience that this is set in. 
we know in our culture that usually women outlive what? Men. But you don't want to outlive your husband when your kids are young. And whatever age they were at this point, they were a little bit probably older, but she was now left with very little. But at least she had her two sons. Her, her sons could take care of her. But the story doesn't end there. Verse 4, Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The, the name of the one was Orpah. Um, and there are a variety of synonyms for her name. Uh, probably the most accurate one is stubborn. I always tell people the stubborn gene left somehow passed me in our family. The rest of my family is somewhat stubborn, but it passed. Well, anyway. And the name of the other was Ruth. And that is also one that has a variety of different surname, I mean, nicknames for it. Uh, probably the most familiar one is, or the most dominant one that people talk about is Ruth was known for being a friend or friendship. Others say that she was beauty or personality, but she was someone that was magnetic. And we find that out later in the story. And they dwelt there about 10 years. So we don't know how early Elmelech died when they got to Moab. We know that after they were there a period of time, the two sons got married. But they were there for 10 years. Actually, just to give you this as a backdrop, this is all leading up to what we'll be doing throughout the book, but, but we will get to some hopefully nuggets this morning, is that this whole story, it's only four chapters long. It's placed in the middle of Judges, which is a, a period of time where God's people, we're not just talking about the world, we're talking about God's people, we're talking about like the church, if we were to kind of project it into our culture. The church, the people of God were doing everything which was right in their own eyes, not God's eyes, but their own eyes. And, and so then you add to that choices that they had made, some wise, some unwise, and then life happened. People got sick. Malon, sickly, got real sick and died. Puny, weak, got weaker, and he died. Now Naomi is left with no one other than daughters-in-law. What is she going to do? One is stubborn and one is friendly and beautiful. What is she going to do? Verse Okay, that was our commercial break in our drama and the rom romantic comedy. All right. So uh, verse 6, and this is what we'll, we'll leave off for today in terms of our introduction of the book. Th then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them what? Bread. And so you now see that, that God's hand begins to surface in terms of people seeing his activity in, in life. They had left a place in which God had promised them to provide and, and gone to another place in which they thought was more prosperous. In the meantime of going through life, they heard that now in the land of Israel that God had provided and the people were now eating and they were receiving what was needed to, to have their family prosperous. And, and so now they were going into back to that land. 
But what I want to do is give you two more characters which are going to be important for us as we think about this story that God is unfolding to us. After Ruth, you're going to find out later, is a man that becomes central in the experience of, of Ruth having the grace of God bestowed on her and Naomi as well. A man named Boaz. Now, Boaz's name, interesting enough, is in him is strength. And we're going to see how God sovereignly used him to, in the midst of a dark experience, uh, bring the hope of God into their lives. But probably more important than any character in this text, and this is true of any part of the Bible uh, that you read, even, even there are only two books in the Bible that are, no, are named by female characters, if we keep in the, the mo- motive of, uh, motif of, of a storyline. One is Ruth and one is Esther. And Esther is unique, and someday maybe we'll, we'll preach on Esther. But Esther is unique in that it is a book in which the sovereignty and the providence of God is dripping through every line in that book, though God's name is not used once in the book. That is unlike Ruth, in which the Lord, who really is the main character in this romantic storyline, the word Yahweh, which is the self-existent one, he, he is the one who provides all, is used 17 times in this book. The word Elohim, which is another name for God, is used three times, and Almighty is used twice. So the main character of this book, in which we see the human lives going through all types of experiences, really governed by the one who governs everything that happens in this universe, God Almighty. So th- that's, that's the storyline. What, what, what are we to glean from this book? What are what I want to leave you with this morning? In this romantic, intimate wooing of God to these lives that have experienced so much heartache, uh, sickness, death, loneliness, abandonment, deprivation, uh, living in a land in which they were the strangers, they were not uh, the ones that ruled, in the midst of knowing what's going to happen next, ha- having no really thought of what is going to be the avenue by which our needs will be provided for, apart from being in a land that is now beginning to have its economy turn around. I'm trying to understand and figure out well, why did we go to Moab in the first place? God shows up. And what I want to just emphasize for all of us is that really is the message of God to us, is that he always shows up. And, and, and he shows up not only to, to open up our lives to know and to walk with him, but, but then also for us to take on that privilege and responsibility to be the avenue by which other people see that God shows up through his people. See, as God showed up, he showed up through the, the life of Boaz. He, he showed up through the life of Ruth as we see those two main characters in this book. And, and, that's, and that's really for us to understand, too. We, we see God's story. But if we we've reduce our walk with God as simply a ticket to heaven, we'll forget what our story is to be. What are some main things we could see and we will see throughout this book? We're going to see God. 
And, and I have it in your outline this morning, but let me make it as simply, say it as simple as possible. We're going to see God values everyone. God values everyone. And I hope you see the simple connection from God's story to our story. If God values everyone, what should God's people do? We ought to value everyone. We, we, ought, to, we ought to see everyone that we come in contact with as, as a person that God has made in whose image? His image. When we see any life, we, we want to see that life as a, as a life in which Jesus sent his son to, to die for. We want to see that person's life as, as Peter said, God is not designed for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We need to see that God values everyone, and he wants us to value everyone. And the longer statement was, no matter who they are or what has been done. And then, well, we'll see how, we'll just talk about that one, and then we'll see whether we get to any more, all right? How is that illustrated in the book of Ruth? Because if you take the two major human characters in this romance novel, Ruth and Boaz, these are the two most unlikely people that you could think that God would value because of who they were, or more appropriately, you say, who they came from, and what had been done in their line and their family. Who, who is Ruth? Well, we know from this, the first six verses of Ruth, he, she was a widow, and she was a Moabite. Or if you want to make it a more technical, she was a Moabitess, all right? And, and, and what was a Moabite? Well, a Moabite was an, an antagonist against God's people. Even in the book of, of Judges, I don't have this in your outline, but in Judges chapter 3, we have the people of Moab putting the people of Israel in slavery for 18 years. God had to raise up a judge, Ehud, who's best known as being the left-handed judge, and, and to use him to rescue his people who were under bondage by Moab. But going even back further, how did, how did a person become a Moab? When, when, did the Moab? when did the Moabs actually come into existence? Well, well they, they've, got a, they've got a sordid past. You know, there are some strange stories in the Bible. I don't, if you've read the Bible, you know, you, you read the New Testament, you, you read all the great stories about Jesus and even some of the Jesus stories, there's some, there's some amazing things that Jesus said and did. But you look in the Old Testament, you, you realize that, that God, through his prophets, painted really what happened through his people and in his people and by his people. In Genesis chapter 19, we have the story of Lot. And the story of Lot... Uh, among other things, is Lot leaving Abraham, and he decides to take what he thought was the, the, the more fertile land. He went to a place near what we would later on find out was Sodom and Gomorrah. We found out that that place was a very evil place, and as they began to get closer and closer to that city and became participants in that city, that began to infiltrate all of his family, and, and God was going to bring judgment upon that entire area. 
Abraham cried out to God. God rescued, gave the opportunity for Lot and his wife and his family to get out of that town. And uh, they, for a variety, we won't go through the entire story. They got out of that town. Lot's wife decided to look back, and God brought judgment in her, into her life. And whether you believe it or not, God said that he turned her into a pillar of salt. And then uh, that family was now left with two daughters. Now, the two daughters, and now we can kind of relate because thinking about um, at least people I know, I've gone through various experiences um, throughout ministry, is that the two daughters were looking around and said, you know, I'd like to get married sometime. I'm sure, ladies, you've never thought about that. That doesn't come across your mind at all. But anyway, they're, they're, I want to get married. And so they're looking around and they're going, wait a minute, where we just came from, everyone just died. They're, they're all gone. I don't see any men. What, what are we going to do? I, I want to be a mother. I want to I have children. And so they say, well, oh, we got a plan. We're going to get our dad drunk. This is, this is you know, there are G movies, PG movies, PG-13 movies. This is our going a little bit further than our, right? They get, they get their dad drunk, and one night the older daughter goes in, has a relationship with the dad, and then the next night they do it again, get him drunk, and then and the younger daughter goes in. Now, the byproduct of that is they bring... Uh, to, uh, to birth child, and one of the child's name is Moab. Now, if you're thinking, you know, most likely to be used by God, to be blessed by God, would you think that would be the offspring of that kind of relationship? You say, no way. That, I don't even want to think about it. That can't be the Bible. Can I tear that part out, right? That's, the, the, I don't know how many great there is there, but that, that's in the line of Ruth. And the descendants after that weren't too particularly righteous either. And, and all I'm saying here is that God, looking down through all the junk that happens in your line and the things that you do, He's simply looking for a heart that will turn to Him. And so I, I want us to understand no matter what your past is, and you need to look at yourself. And, and, and don't allow whatever you've heard other people say to make you a victim. In, in God's eyes, he takes anybody from any experience, no matter what has been done by them or to them or by others within their relational world. And he said, I can still use you. Something powerful and beautiful can happen in your life. And, and we're not talking about something minor here. It was through the line of Ruth that came our Savior. So we're not talking about something minimal here. And, and so from this story in Ruth, we, we get this an amazing truth that God values everyone. Even a Moabite is from that that sordid beginning and God used. Now, Boaz, when you think about it, well, Boaz, well, he, he probably was a shining light. You know, he had a kind of good cop, bad cop, or whatever, however, you know, he had somebody really good and someone really bad, and they got them together, and the, the byproduct was great. Now, Boaz, his, his experience from being in the line of Judah is as bad, if not worse. I mean, it's just, we don't have time to look at it, but, but read Genesis 38 this week. 
basically from his line came from a, a man who, who, who married a Canaanite, uh, which was Judah, and then he had three sons, and uh, his oldest son named Er, which is probably a good synonym for his name because he was so wicked, God just judged him after he married um, a Tamar. And then he was supposed to give, long story here, his second son to Tamar, and, and he died because he was, he was messing around. And then he was supposed to give the third one, a man named Sheila, and, and he said, man, I just had two sons die in a relationship to Tamar. I'm not giving my third son. And he, in a long, make the long story short is that, that Tamar had a, had, a, had a forced the issue here and prostituted herself to lie with Judah the father of her husband who had died, to get into relationships so that that line would continue. And from that line, Boaz came. So we're, we're, we're talking about an ancestral relationship with Ruth, and we're talking about a, a, a prostitutional, if that's a word, relationship on Boaz's line. And God valued them so much that through both of them, the line of the Savior came. Now, what practically does that say to us? Are, are there people in our lives that if we're really honest, we don't value anymore? How we treat them, how we speak about them, in our heart toward them, See, throughout the Old Testament, God was pounding the Israelites to say, look it, you're my chosen people, but not because you're any better than anybody else. I just chose you to be that, that light in which people could see in you the source of your light, which is me. And, and I have in your, in your, in your scriptures there uh, the story of Jonah. And, and, in, and in Jonah, you, you have the experience of Jonah not wanting to go to the Ninevites. Why? Because he knew God was so good, so gracious, so merciful that if they would turn and repent, he would forgive them. And he didn't want that to happen. He, he was afraid of the goodness of God. And in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, it says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. You know, God will be the judge. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There is going to be judgment. But as we look at now, what, what draws us and draws others to us, to, to, to him, is our kindness, is our forgiveness, is our sense of valuing those that other people do not value. That's what Jesus meant. Said, you know, you've heard it said that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. But, but I see to you not just simply love your neighbor as yourself, but love your enemies. Love those people in your life that, that have done you so much harm or have done other the ones you love so much harm and value them because they've been created in my image. I sent my son to die for them. I desire none to fall from him. That, that's what the book of Ruth is about. The depth of God's value of every life. Let me state it without preaching it. Secondly, this book is about God is in control and provides what is needed to accomplish His will. 
He pro- without going through, he provided food. He provided a spouse. He provided a child. And through this book, we see the greater story. He provides a savior. We all have desires. We all have things we would want. But God does meet whatever our need truly is. And, and, and the question, we've said this many times before, sometimes that need will not be ultimately met until we see him face to face. Whatever physical challenge we have, in here, have now might not be healed now, but it will be in eternity. Whatever we're lacking in physical things might not be completely answered now, but it will be in that place where we will have all things met. And in, in Ruth's experience, and we'll see this, uh, she had really no expectations of getting married, and God provided. She had no expectations of being able to, to give birth to a child. And we celebrate with Jesse and Jessica at the, at, the, at the new child that's coming to them. But we know that people go through experiences, Christians, without ever giving birth, being able to, to have a child. And yet, yet God is there. And if he chooses to open the womb, he'll open the womb. God is in control and provides. I guess in our part of that story is realizing that, that we trust that. When everything is going wrong, we believe that God still has the capacity to make it right. And then finally, and just stating it, God pursues us with love doing what we can't do for ourselves. In this romantic film, novel, whatever you want to call it, short story, we see the relationship between Boaz and Ruth. And both of them are surprised that the other one is interested in them. And really, when we think about it, that really is our understanding of the gospel. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet undeserving, Christ died for us. And see, that's really the heart of following after Jesus is that we realize that, that, that we don't deserve anything from him. We need to be surprised by his goodness and his grace and his mercy. He is wooing each of us to himself. It's not a cold, simple pardon of our sin. It's our desire to know him and know him intimately. The so what of course is two form. One, have you entered into that relationship with him? And then secondly, looking at, at how you get in part of God's story. Has, has God surprised you, and who are you surprising? Who, who are you surprising with your willingness to, to love them and to forgive them and be there for them? Who are you surprising because you, you, you show that you value their life and want what's best for them? How are we being the agents of God to be a blessing in others? Let's pray. Father, we are amazed by your looking at us that are so undeserving. And by your act of grace, making us worthy to be called your children. To be called your followers. Father, help us to value people that way. 
Father, so often we look at what's missing rather than what we have. Help us to realize that you, you're in control even when life seems out of control. And Father, help us when we feel that we're unloved, that the, the most significant person in this universe loves us. Father, there's anyone who doesn't know in a personal way, might, even as we participate in communion this morning, experience that by simply surrendering their lives to you. And Father, for us who know you, might we in a fresh, humble way follow you deeply. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.